that scene where um, Drop Dead Fred is like just mesmerized by this woman's fanny. Yes, he's just like. <laughs> Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fornasia. If you love our podcast and want to give us some support, make sure you're following Psychocinematic Podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. And check out our website, psychocinematicpodcast.com. For access to special bonus content, episodes, early access, stickers and contribute to our regular fundraisers, join our Patreon. Starting from $3.50 a month, you can be the coolest psychocinematic listener there is. I'll start today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast on today, which is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners and their elders past, present and future. And I'd like to acknowledge that we are on Aboriginal land, stolen land, and that sovereignty was never ceded. And I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Ariadne. Hi. So Ariadne, we're new friends. Yeah. Um, you've lived in Melbourne like for about a year now, is yeah, that right? Yeah, it's just over a year. Um, I came down in November 2021 mm-hmm. and I'm still kind of finding my bearings around the city. I'm kind of discovering new parts of Melbourne mm. every day. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, it's still kind of unfolding before me. And you came from Brisbane? I did. I did come from Brisbane. Which is where Michael and I are from as well. So there's definitely a bit of an inside joke amongst Brisbane expats to Melbourne that they find each other and constantly do. Because I know you through other friends who we met in Melbourne who were from Brisbane as well. So, yeah, it's just like this Brisbane colony that sort of like – Came down. All the cool people from Brisbane. Yes. (laughs) What brought you to Melbourne? Um, I really wanted to change. So Mm -hmm. I love Brisbane a lot. There's so much that I appreciated about it. Mm -hmm. But after living there for 40 years, I felt like I'd really, like that was it. I'd kind of wrung it dry and I just couldn't see my life kind of going forward in any way. And so I thought, well, I just, I need like a change. Mm. I I mean, there's a lot that I still need to explore about Melbourne. But we're in um, Dame Edna's heartland. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Which is very Melbourne, very Australian. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, the thing that I did discover about Melbourne is that I finally understood what Dame Edna was on about Mm. whenever the fuck she would go on about, like, mini (laughs) ponds and, you know, just, like, that very kind of, oh, that suburbanite who, like, thinks she's above... I kind of understand also like Kath and Kim. Yes. Like Fountain yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I The um, accent, like the pro and true accent. Yes. Yes. It's very Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's get into what we're talking about today. We're covering the movie Drop Dead Fred, which mm-hmm. was a very early 90s film released in 1991. Yeah. And it's something that you suggested, Ariadne. Yes. What yeah. made you decide that this would be a good film to cover? I came up with a list and then Drop Dead Fred came up. I think because, you know, it was about a woman grappling with her imaginary friend. And I hadn't seen Drop Dead Fred since I was a kid. Mm. So a lot of it I had forgotten. Like I did not realise when I saw it how much of a kid's film it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And so I just thought it would be interesting. Um, I thought, you know, 
I thought, well, I really like Rick Mail. I loved him in The Young Ones. That would be a fun movie to talk about. Nothing deeper than that. Mm. And then on like viewing it again, I was like, wow, there's all this <laughs> stuff in the movie that's actually like really kind of interesting. Mm, yeah. But the film is so fucked like in so <laughs> many ways. Yeah, it's so strange because it's not a kid's film but it's not an adult's film. No, no. There's discussions of like, sex, not just that it exists, but like, you know, her friend Janie is like stooping her. <laughs> and there's that scene where um, Drop Dead Fred is like just mesmerised by this woman's fanny. Yes. Because he's just like... <laughs> and it, yeah, it's that sort of cartoonish yes. response. Like yeah. that's not appropriate for kids. But then at the same time, who is it for? Because it's not for adults. No. Well, because I rewatched it this morning and I thought maybe it works if you view it as an adult's film about childhood. Yes, that's a good point. Because when I saw it again after I su- made the suggestion that we talk about it, the first, I think, like half an hour or 20 minutes are just so dry. Yeah. And I just thought, what child would be entertained Exactly, like, like leaving her husband for another woman. Getting and going fired to from her job. Yes, but I watched it, like you, as a kid yeah. quite often. Mm. And I'm also like, how did I even get access? Like, why did they let me watch this? Yeah. And who was like, hey, Steph, this looks like a good film to watch. But obviously it was marketed. It must have been marketed towards kids because we all watched it as kids. Yeah. I think maybe the marketing people got this movie and were like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Uh, let's just market it towards kids. Well, apparently, originally Tim Burton and Robin Williams were going to direct and then star in it, um, but they declined it. And then they were trying to find someone to direct it. And this um, director from Denmark, I think, H. De Jong, I don't know how to say his name, ended up doing it um, and made it into what it was. But then they dropped it because it was too much for them <laughs> and they ended up giving it to another distributor to because they were like, no, this isn't the movie that we wanted. Yeah. And they were trying to bank off like Freddy Krueger and Beetlejuice and those kind of films that had just come out. Like yeah, let's make this crazy kooky character. It's going to be like sequel potential. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't end up that way at yeah. all. It's kind of what I was thinking about it. I thought this could just be said about any terrible movie. It would have been so much better with a better script. Yes. If they'd kind of decided on the tone of it. It's like they're just going for this middle path and it's like if they thought, okay, let's just make an adult's movie, it would have been funnier. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like it would have made a lot more sense. Mm. Because there's all of this like really deep stuff in it. Like Mm. her mum is so like incredibly repressed. Yeah, yep. And... There's just they could have explored so much more had it just been like um, an adult's film Mm. instead of like it looks like one of those movies where the studio got involved and were like take this out, get rid of all the swear words. Add more slapstick, lots of slapstick, more mud pies, yeah. But it would have been like because it's not, I don't think, this is a topic that's actually ex- explored a lot, like no, a woman. Especially not at that time. No, not at all. And it's like she's she's going through some very intense stuff. Mm. She has this really awful infatuation with this awful guy and it's, I feel like, something a lot of women would be able to relate to. Yes, hugely. And it kind of speaks to that 
to a person who's had their sense of self completely quashed as a child, Mm, mm. you know, you're just like looking for love and nurturing from someone. Yeah, and validation. And then the mum is just this totally, you know, she is really repressed. She's getting zero help from her husband. Yeah, he's just checked out. He's totally checked out and she's meant to be the villain. And it's like this guy is doing nothing. That's one of my problems with this film because, you know, the mum is awful. Yeah. But she gets called like mega bitch and beast. And dad gets nothing. He gets completely let off the hook. Like he does no parenting. Mm. And we're just meant to go, oh, my God. You know, he's like this dude. You're meant to view him as the good guy. Yeah. When he just walks out. He abandons them. He abandons the family never to be heard from ever again. And he's meant to be seen as a good parent and he does no parenting. It's very characteristic of the way they treat mum. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caricaturistic, sorry. But also characteristic of just how mothers were viewed for a long time. Like dads could do whatever the fuck they wanted. They could be abusive. They could be checked out. But because they were men, they could do all They had no responsibilities. No. And women were meant to do everything. Mm. And in the mother's defence, I will say Fred is a nightmare. <laughs> he's the worst person. Like, yeah. I mean, he's just just fucking off the chain. <laughs> I think that's where it gets uncomfortable with this movie because yeah. he goes too far. Like, yes, yes, like yes. Like, we, we do end up seeing why Fred was valuable for Lizzie mm. and he does help her and – that's, I guess, a good message in the film is that, you know, sometimes you need to have an imaginary friend to help you out of a sticky mm. in a life situation or whatever, whatever you need. But he just takes it to an yeah. inappropriate level, yeah. which is another thing that I think people were afraid of with this movie is that kids would start being like Fred. But I don't think there was a wave of kids acting no. like Rick Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think even kids are like, oh, no, that's too far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they break into their own house and out of, yeah, like that's and, yeah, and wild behaviour. Yes. And he causes Janie, played by Carrie Fisher, yeah. the best friend, who I have to say is an incredible best friend. Yes, like, she's amazing. So he causes her um, houseboat, what she call it, like a water condominium or something. <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> to sing. And Janie's just like... Still her friend. Yes, I don't know how she could. I know. Like (laughs) my entire house and everything I own is now in the water. Yeah. But it's cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he like causes that to sink. And when he does stuff like that, you're like, how? This is, you're a difficult guy to like. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's funny though, I find Rick Mile weirdly attractive in this he's very He is very attractive in this film. <laughs> what does that say about us? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's an offbeat guy and that's very cute. It is. So, so Elizabeth, played by Phoebe Cates, her world has been turned upside down. Her marriage to Charles, played by Tim Matheson. The only thing I remember him from is the Brady Bunch movie, I think part two. (laughs) I think he was also in the first Wives Club. Oh, yeah, Yeah. that's right, one of the husbands. Yeah. So her marriage is over to him after following her discovery that he has cheated on her, but she simply can't stop loving him. Despite the support of her friend Janie, Carrie Fisher, she's unhappy. In her misery, her imaginary childhood friend, Fred, played by Rick Mayall, reappears, having been previously locked away from her. His sole purpose is to cheer Elizabeth up, 
although things do not quite go to plan. Elizabeth is staying with her mother, Marsha Mason, who's quite cold to Elizabeth and intends to put Elizabeth back with Charles, but in the meantime makes her into a younger double of herself. So many layers to that. Elizabeth works to get Charles back into her life, even turning up at a party with Fred, despite part of Elizabeth being overjoyed at seeing Fred again and remembering their fun, carefree times together. All he ever seems to do for Elizabeth is cause trouble. After a certain number of unforgivable actions, as we described earlier, Elizabeth's mother takes her to quote-unquote get help and rid her of Fred forever. So she takes her to the psychiatrist who gives her these little green pills. Elizabeth returns to Charles and starts taking the medication to rid herself of Fred. It's only when taking the last pill that she realises that Charles hasn't changed at all and that Fred is really the only person that she can trust. When she follows him into a dreamlike world, she gets the chance to overcome her greatest fears. Her mother, Charles' infidelity, and the little girl inside dealing with loneliness. Unfortunately, the only way she can truly rid herself of the fears is to lose Fred for good by realising she doesn't need him any longer. So that's the movie. It's one of Phoebe Kate's last roles before she kind of disappeared. And she was pretty big. And I also read that Russell Brand was going to star in a remake. Oh, thank God that didn't happen. (laughs) So that's dead in the ground. Thank God. (laughs) I thought before we continue with some of the plot, we could talk about some of the lived experience as part of our usual. Mm -hmm. Um, There isn't a lot out there though, to be fair. For example, Phoebe Cates is married to Kevin Klein. That's part of the reason apparently why she disappeared off the screen is they were going to take turns to work while looking after their kids but she never really took her turn which I call bullshit (laughs) (laughs) well she opened up a shop you know she went from um, acting to retail there you go yeah um and it seems that she just wanted to be with the kids which is which is fine and wonderful but I'm assuming there were some gender roles played out there but she was like she was really great like she was great in gremlins yeah fast times at Ridgemont High Mm. but then I don't know like Acting is so, like, Mm. such a brutal industry. Yeah. Maybe she felt like... It was too much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And especially if they were trying to, like, even it up, but she wanted to stay with looking after the kids, then obviously she's like, ugh, too hard work. Yeah. And maybe she's already in that sort of routine with Mm. her kids. Her son uh, has type 1 diabetes, which is interesting for the podcast because Michael has type 1 diabetes. And he is... He was in The Squid and the Whale. Mm -hmm. He was a little... Oh, the one who, like, rubbed cum all over the books. That's the one. (laughs) In the library and stuff. Um, And her daughter is the musician known as Frankie Cosmos. I have never heard Frankie Cosmos. Neither have I, but I've heard the name. (laughs) But there you go. Famous family. Mm. Rick Mayall. There wasn't a lot about his mental health. He seemed like a fairly... I don't know. Do you know much about him? Not a huge amount, but he was always one of those personalities who was always there like yeah I definitely I feel like I definitely heard of the young ones Mm. before I saw Drop Dead Fred and that I guess that was one of the thing that appealed to me was like oh that's Rick from um the young ones yeah and I think that's also how they marketed it was Mm. like Mm. oh well you know everyone knows Rick He's this crazy guy, so. They'll, they'll definitely, yeah, love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I actually watched The Young Ones later, <sighs> much later than Drop Dead Fred, so it was like, that's Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> <laughs> I did like a really um, shallow research this morning and looked at his wiki page and there was this quote from Spike Milligan 
where Spike Milligan said he's the arsehole of British comedy. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was going on about how, um, oh, he just thinks, you know, rubbing snot on furniture is funny and farts and all that, and which is basically Drop Dead Fred. Yeah, he was pretty perfect for that role yes, in that yeah, way. Yeah. He sees himself in that sort of extreme character from what I read. Yeah. There was this quote from him saying that he... I've always tended toward extremism. As I see it, there's mainstream comedy and then there's me out in the badlands. I still feel dangerous and I still feel like I'm breaking new ground. I suppose I like being in control of what I do. I've always had a problem with doing what I'm told. So kind of similar character. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very sort of juvenile Mm. and like reveling in it. Yeah. And just kind of like I guess he's like one of those comedians who like to sort of kind of poke fun in any sort of seriousness. Yeah. yeah. And push the boundaries of yes. what's acceptable as yeah, well and yeah. appropriate, mm. which I guess was kind of the young ones as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really hear anything more about whether he related to the story and mental health or whether he had his own imaginary friend or anything like that. So mm. Marsha Mason, I didn't hear read much about her apart from that she was twice divorced by then and did not have kids. Um, So she probably relates to being a divorcee. Mm. (laughs) The little girl who played little Lizzie was played by Ashley Peldon, who I think you told me this. Yeah, yeah. She Uh, went on to study psychology. Yeah. um, Which is very interesting. I feel like I'd seen her in a lot of things. Mm. She's got a very distinctive look. Yeah, Yeah, she's very cute. Mm. Um, she was in something called Child of Rage, um, which I think is maybe uh, like the, I remember watching this YouTube documentary about a g- little girl who had schizophrenia, I think, and it looks like maybe it was a dramatization of that. Oh, okay, yeah. And that led her to get interested in child psychology. And on her Wikipedia, it says she specialises in rage screaming, <laughs> which sounds interesting. Is that just like primal scream? Maybe. I don't mm. know. I didn't go any further into uh. it because I was like, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they didn't teach you that at uni? I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, that's super interesting that mm. she went from being a child star in these like psychological movies to becoming a psychologist. Yeah. Now, Carrie Fisher has famously lots of lived experience. Yes. Do you know much about Carrie? Yeah, I love Carrie Fisher. I guess, you know, like any child of the 80s, grew up watching Star Wars and... And Carrie Fisher's always just been like this great personality and she's so articulate about um, her struggles. She just had this very warm, generous personality. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, I will admit, but I love Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Um, I haven't read or seen Postcards from the Edge, but that was the like autobiography she wrote about her life living with Debbie Reynolds, her mum, mm. um, and both of their struggles with alcoholism and very mother-daughter relationship issues yeah so definitely very relatable to what we see on this movie mm. um and it was turned in made into a movie with Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine Shirley MacLaine yes have you seen it I've seen bits of it um it came out when I was a kid mm. and it was just it just struck me as one of those adult movies yeah yeah. You're like, no, not for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, But, yeah, a lot of childhood trauma dealt with alcoholism. Um, she was diagnosed with bipolar as well. So she's a very big advocate for – well, she was a very big advocate for mental health awareness. Mm. Rest in peace, Carrie. And, yeah, like I love her character. Oh, so Janie's. <laughs> she's like the best friend you ever wanted. Yes, yeah. I think that's what I really love about this movie is her character. She's like sex positive. 
She's supportive to her friend who she, she doesn't need to be. Like she completely validates what's going on for yeah. Lizzie. Mm. And, and she's, yeah, she's so supportive. Like yeah. after Lizzie does all this, like completely ruins her life, mm. she's like, oh, she's going through a very hard time right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And she's just there for her. Yeah. And she also kind of wins at the end of the day because she gets a big payout. Yes, <laughs> that's right. In this great scene where she's like power walking <laughs> and smoking at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's the 80s woman you want to be yes. kind of thing. Yeah, she's amazing. Like I don't know if by making this film they were like, we're going to really bring childhood trauma to the front. Yeah, I don't think I don't it know was that deep was. with them. No. I think they were just – I mean maybe, maybe like the original script writer was like, mm. this is the area I want to explore. Mm-hmm. And then just going through like the movie-making machine – that all just got diluted. Yeah. And it just became this whatever the fuck it is. Trying to be like a Tim Burton thing. Yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. It's yeah. like, it's, yeah, it just, it never finds itself. Yes. And there's like glimpses of it, but it's just never allowed to sort of like really, you know, it has arrested development, this movie. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly true. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. still a child. It needs to be more fleshed out. Yes. So the next criteria is around the accuracy of this movie, which is silly that we're really, because it's such a over-the-top movie. Yeah. But I guess the questions I would like to discuss is what we might, were we a psychologist in the room with Lizzie, not that psychiatrist who just gives her pills. Yeah, and then just talks to the mum. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which is, ugh, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, what we might diagnose Lizzie with. You know, what What, what were your thoughts while watching the movie? Um, I would I guess I'd diagnose her with just needing to really find her self-confidence. Yeah. Admittedly not being a psychologist, I don't know what I would call that. (laughs) But um, it's just like she has – and, I mean, like I've been there. I've definitely been in that position of just wanting this awful man to just like take me and love me when – they're awful and yeah and why Mm. would you want that and he just kind of want to say to her because like when I was re-watching it this this morning the scenes with Charles were physically hard for me to watch because he's so gross and he's so patronizing when he talks to her yeah but he's just like foul and it was like I couldn't watch like I was watching some kind of like horror movie and it was just like ugh Mm. Yeah, like she's just – she's really dominated by everyone around her except for Jamie. Yeah. Um, but, like, her mom just wants to control her. Charles just wants, like – what, what he wants, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He just wants to have, okay, um, I'll give you some attention now. Go away. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's tre- – He treats her like a child. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. But a bad parent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, like she also dresses – I suppose she dresses quite fashionably for, for you know, like that late 80s, mm. early 90s. She has those kind of Laura Ashley, very prim and proper. Yeah. But the movie's kind of saying, look at this child woman. Yeah, she still dresses in pretty things. Yeah. yeah. And her room is still like exactly the way it was when she was a kid, which is all pink and frilly. And, and then when you see her place, it's just like what Charles would like. Yeah. Like there's pictures of fucking jaguars on the wall <laughs> and... 
it's all that sort of like the Beetlejuice yes, <laughs> house that, yeah, that yeah. Catherine O'Hara comes and changes everything into. Mm. Mm. Like the yuppie office yeah. worker version of that, yeah. Yeah, so it's like she's stuck in that arrested development for when she was a child, like yes. you say. I had a little bit of a thing. I didn't, I didn't do too much like cross the DSM stuff because – I don't think it's really warranted. But I guess looking at it from the fact that she's seeing this imaginary friend, yeah. you know, because I did a little bit of looking at Reddit and what people thought and they're like, oh, she's got schizophrenia. And I'm like, mm, no, I don't think she does. She doesn't really meet the criteria for me. Mm. But she definitely is having, like, if Fred doesn't exist and he's just a figment of her imagination, which I don't think is the premise of the film. No, no. Um Especially as she's like pouring water that he's holding and stuff. Oh my like God, that. he's so awful. He's so mean to her. Yes. It's like, what is his problem? Like, what, if you were diagnosing Fred, what would you diagnose him with? Oh, like oppositional defined disorder. Okay. <laughs> he's, that, he's the kid that just wants to do the opposite of what you want oh, them to yeah. do. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But like, he's such a caricature yeah. of that. Because I sort of see Fred as the same age as what she was. Like, yeah. even though he's an adult Mm. like he's got that brain of a five-year-old so that's why it all you know these things make sense to him which are absolutely nonsensical Mm. and like don't put anything on the carpet I'm gonna put poo on the carpet like that's that's something my two-year-old would say (laughs) yeah Um, but would he do it no (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you know if he didn't exist then she could be seen as having some sort of psychosis with visual hallucinations Mm. but I kind of see Fred obviously he's real in the film Um, Well, I think he is. I see him as like a symbol of her rather than actual being like her inner child and her inner joy and fun and the things that make life living and playfulness, Mm. being a kid and playing because it looks like her mum had none of that. Yes. So she had to create that. And I think you might have said this as well. Fred is British and male Mm. and her dad was British. Yeah. So he's kind of like a step-in father figure as well at the same time for her. Yeah, a really – also a really terrible father figure. Yes, Um. (laughs) just like her dad (laughs) but in a different way. (laughs) Yeah, because I suppose she does get all that nurturing from Fred. You know, like there's that scene – where she says to her mum, well, you know, Fred loves me. Mm. And then he appears and he's like, well, you're wrong, you know, like I don't love you (laughs) because love is for girls and girls are disgusting. Yeah. It's very uh, not very good. (laughs) There's no No. feminist things in this film apart from Carrie Fisher's character. Absolutely not. It's, it's well, it's very much of its time. Exactly, yeah. I mean, he's... He's really like a partner in crime. Yes, yeah. And he lets her be, you know, he really lets like her wildest fantasies come out. Mm. I guess like one thing I've been thinking about whilst we've been having this conversation is do adults have imaginary friends? That's a really good question. And like do we but we're too embarrassed to kind of admit to it. I'm, yeah, that's a call out to our podcast listeners because I haven't looked into this. Do you have an imaginary friend? <laughs> because what is the fantasy life of adults? Like yeah. the fantasy life of children is so valid. And rich. Yes. Yeah. But as adults, we're meant to grow out of all of that. We're meant to just be, you know, these little robots that go to work, we pay our tax, we fucking just, you know, whatever. You know, that sort of really sort of wild creative imagination isn't it's kind of it peters out yeah yeah Yeah. like it's it's, not given the room to be there 
Yeah. And like, do we create imaginary friends for ourselves? Yeah. Mm. I guess too, like I talk to myself all the time and many of us do. Everyone does. And personify that Mm. perhaps. Like I'm talking to my silly self or I'm talking to. You know, or your pet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We very much anthropomorphize. I can't say that word. <laughs> Never mind. We make our pets into humans yeah. very much so. Mm. Um, so it's maybe that's the level of us doing that or yeah. is it more just um, daydreaming about the life that we, oh, yes. yeah, yeah. That we want? Mm. But it's a good question because I feel like the other question mark that came up when I was looking at what people thought was like, does she have dissociative identity disorder? And she's, mm. you know, because Fred is really a part of herself yes. that was missing yeah, yeah. Um, and that she's manifested in her childhood to deal with having such a repressive, abusive mother. Mm. When you look at that, it sort of makes sense, but it doesn't fit the criteria because you're unlikely to just have one personality and... It's, this is not that movie. Like, it's. I don't think that that's <laughs> no, what's going on. No. But I guess people who live with dissociative identity disorder, you know, had that imaginary friend occurring through their personality but became more than just a childhood sort of normal sort of commonplace trait that happens. Mm. So you could kind of look at it that way mm. because it's very common for kids to have imaginary friends. There's nothing pathological about it. Yeah. Did you have an imaginary friend? I don't remember. I don't think I had an imaginary friend that I made up, mm. but I definitely kind of had like friends from characters of TV shows that I would watch or films. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to, I desperately wanted Care Bears to be real as a child. <laughs> so I think I created kind of fantasy worlds with TV characters mm. or books or yeah. Like in your playtime, in yeah, your bedroom, yeah. things like that. Yeah. That's definitely what I used to do. I used to like role play movies and things like that, like with mm. characters as well. I think maybe I had tried to sort of have a consistent imaginary friend at one point, but it got too, too much work <laughs> to maintain. Because <laughs> I remember watching or reading Anne of Green Gables and she had an imaginary friend oh. who was in the in the mirror. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'll do that. But, yeah, for, like you'd forget – I'd forget about it after a week or so. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't anything consistent for mm. me. One thing I wanted to ask was there is this one really great part where she has like this dream sequence and she lets her um, her childhood self free. Yes, I love that bit. Yes, that's like – So the, sweet. That and is the best bit. In the movie, apart from when she kisses Fred, Mm. I thought if it had just been like a kiss on the cheek, that would make sense and be sweet. But then it's like this kiss on the lips and it's like, what is their relationship? It's a a little bit creepy knowing that. It's not even this kind of ambiguity that the filmmakers have tried to foster. It's just like this, that's not who they are. And And he's her. So... It's, I don't know, yeah. like I kind of, I don't think it was meant to be creepy. Like I think it was meant to be innocent, but it just comes no, off a bit yes. creepy. Yeah, yeah. Knowing that he is obviously a fully grown man and she was like the inner child, like mm. actually a five-year-old, when they were first, like he stayed the same age and she was five or six. Yeah. That makes it creep, like yes. creepy to me. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm trying not to read too much into it because I don't think they did. No, not at all. Like I think it's like a parting kiss. Like a gift. Yeah. To each other. Yeah, but that I love myself almost. I'm allowed to nurture oh, this yeah. part of myself. But yeah. then, you know, him as Fred can now disappear because she's integrating almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it needed to be a kiss. 
Yeah, oh. on the lips. No. But, yeah, in that sequence when she lets her, her child hood self free and then they hug and it's mm. really sweet, do you really buy into, like, that inner child stuff? What, like, what is that about? Like, how, how would one heal their inner child? Because I don't know much about this. Well, I guess that's one thing that I think draws me to thinking that this film's actually not too bad mm. is that it really does give a very weird look at childhood trauma yeah. and feeling like your inner child was repressed and how to, how to sort of cope with that mm. in a in a way to to allow you to move on because yeah. i sort of saw her because of the way she was repressed by her mum who locks fred away into a music mm. box until she until she discovers him again so yeah. for most of like from 6 onwards she was pretty much at the mercy of her mum and wasn't allowed to be fun, wasn't allowed to be a kid. It was just whatever mum wanted to do. And then being able to go back to her child and sort of release that joy because she became this, like to me, like a dependent personality disorder yeah. sort of adult who depended on other people for validation to for pretty much everything who didn't give it to her. Like she was still seeking out uh, relationships from the wrong places because Charles was awful but mm. obviously made her feel like she needed him and that her only way to be happy was to be with people. And she says to Fred, like, right at the end, I'm just so afraid of, of being alone. Like, she's just been lonely her whole life and she's trying to get people in, make connections in the wrong places. Mm. So for her to move on from that, she kind of needed to heal that that six-year-old self. I quite like inner child yeah. mentality stuff. I, mm-hmm. I'm not a psychodynamic therapist and I don't sort of use it in that sense. I kind of see it more in that um, more narrative psychology okay. kind of way of, right. of doing narrative therapy of like think of yourself as a child mm-hmm. and how would you what would you say to them and what did they need when they were anxious in that moment? How can you give them what they need now? Because your inner child's still in there. Yeah. And I feel like when someone is at the most vulnerable state, it's kind of that inner child coming out. So it's trying to nurture that child again. But essentially, I think the film explores that quite well. But in reality, mm. I think that healing of trauma and that inner child takes a lot more than just one dream sequence oh, yeah. to achieve. <laughs> I think one of the things I dislike about this film is its treatment of the medical system as a whole and the psychiatrist oh, yeah, yeah. who's just like, He's like here's a some villain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And de- very much treated as a villain by all the wonderful, whimsical childhood imaginary friends, yes. which was a kind of fun scene but also a bit weird. It would have been nice to see, and this was the early 90s, so we weren't going to see this, but it would have been nice to see Lizzie actually access some actual therapy to deal with yeah, yeah. everything that's happened to her. Yeah, because she is going through a lot. I mean, I know, I know it's just a movie, but I really hated at the beginning when she goes into work and she's a court typist. Uh, a court yeah. typist, yeah. And she's like explaining to the judge, "Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I like got dumped by my husband. My car got broken into, and then the cunt fires her." I, I was like, "It's a movie, but like, why?" That's not what. And yeah. also, who's going to do the court typing? For I know her now? exactly. Like, stupid idea. Yeah. And I'm not sure what that was sort of setting that up. Like, she, it's like she's oblivious. Like, she doesn't notice her car get broken into no. and then stolen. Yeah. And it's like, who doesn't 
take change with into the payphone the, or their just their wallet in yes. general. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure whether that was implying that she's a very forgetful, dippy sort of person, mm. but I think maybe it's just showing that she's really not an adult. She's no. not adulting. She's still stuck as being a kid. She can't take yeah. responsibility for her things and can't and even hold down her job. No, she's so obsessed with Charles. Yes. With just like obtaining Charles's love. Yeah. Um, which would have been really awful. Like he's Yeah. Yeah. So that's why that's why I think like dependent personality just sort of kind of fits that vibe for me if mm-hmm. I was to diagnose her as an adult. Yeah. There's also maybe some suggestions that like she could have some like, I think I think she definitely has some complex trauma. Um she would definitely meet the criteria for that, I think. Often that can look like borderline personality disorder as well, where there's often that abusive neglectful childhood in the background because it's also like she doesn't know who she is if she's not with someone. No, exactly, yes. Yeah, and some of those, I guess Fred is maybe a manifestation of some of the extreme behaviours that come sometimes from borderline personality disorder of that sort of uh, reckless behaviour because Fred is reckless. (laughs) Well, would you say Mickey Buns has borderline personality disorder? Possibly. So Mickey... (laughs) I'm not sure about him, to be honest. I know. For those who haven't seen the film, Mickey is um, Elizabeth's childhood friend. Mm. And there's this scene in the restaurant where Fred is terrorising Elizabeth and forcing her to, like, chuck food all around the restaurant. Mm. And Mickey's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So he starts to throw our food. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he thinks this is... he's got a bit of a delusion going on. Yeah. (laughs) Like, no, this isn't normal. (laughs) You should be concerned. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because he also seems very on another planet. And interesting with that too is that at the end of the movie Fred is now attached to his little girl that's a big red flag because Mm. Fred was attached to Lizzie because she needed someone to cope with having a neglectful traumatic childhood Mm. so is Mickey Bunce's daughter Mm. having a very traumatic childhood yeah and what's going on Mickey yeah why does she need Fred what's going obviously the nanny was there but like Nanny's a pretty short term. What's going on in her life mm. that she needs Fred? Yeah. Like yeah. maybe, Mickey, you need to, <laughs> to look at yourself. <laughs> Rather yeah. than chasing down Lizzie, focus on your little girl. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen a sequel where Fred was in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they could, like, the whole movie could have been, like, a psychologist who was a therapist to childhood friends. Yeah. That would be an awesome job. That would. That would be. <laughs> I could do that job. <laughs> Actually, on that note too, I think that, you know, because I've worked with a lot of kids who would be like Lizzie, like mm-hmm. I've worked with kids with trauma backgrounds who who are exhibiting a lot of external behaviour, mm-hmm. who have been diagnosed with things like oppositional defiant disorder. And I think if Lizzie as a child went to a psychologist that's or psychiatrist might be one of the, the diagnosed, particularly in, in 1991, mm-hmm. although I don't know how common that diagnosis was then, but maybe she'd be given an ADHD label or something like that um, around her behaviour. Yeah. And what we know about trauma is that it can manifest in kids in ways like what we see with Lizzie. Mm. And I think little Lizzie 
had no control over her life. She was supposed to do exactly what her mum wanted. She wasn't allowed to have fun. She wasn't, you know, the way that the house is set up in the movie is like not for kids. (laughs) So she wasn't allowed to be a child. Mm. And then her father abandons her as well and he's not really there. So she's stuck. She's completely stuck. She's completely got no sense of control or autonomy in her life. She's not even allowed to have fun. So it makes sense that these extreme behaviours come, whether they're through Fred or as a kid, to try and regain some control and regain some attention because her mum doesn't really pay attention to her or her needs. Yeah. So it's like the extreme behaviour, like this is the only way I can get your attention Mm. and focus on me. It's really sad to me when mum locks up Fred that she just goes ahead and cleans the mess that she made. It's like, well, that's not going to work anymore. I I can't do it anymore, so I've just got to do what mum says. Like, it's so so heartbreaking. It is. She's so kind of, like, small and vulnerable and she's trying. It doesn't help that Fred comes along and makes everything worse for her. No, exactly. Like, it's it's that sort of too extreme level of behaviour. Yeah. So what are the parents like when you are working with these children? Do you talk with the parents? Yes. Ah. I mean, it's been a while since I've been in that um, position because now I'm working in a more corporate role. But the parents are the actual client in the room, essentially. And it's giving them some strategies to help with those situations. Um, But often a lot of them have their own intergenerational trauma as well. Like they have their own trauma in general. Their childhood trauma was also uh, around parenting as well and not given the unconditional love from their parents. So Mm -hmm. and not being given the skills to know how to parent as well. So a lot of the parents I've worked with don't intend for this to this to be the situation that they're in but they don't have any other skills in which to do it Mm. so it's really working with them but also developing rapport firstly with the parents to be able to do that because there's either one of two ways that that they might have been approached before in the situation is their kids are the problem but nothing gets fixed because they need to be parented (laughs) there's nothing they can do to fix this or the parent is blamed yeah. And then that's the only message that they get from that. So it's really working with the parents as well, using some more relationship strategies. So giving them some of the tools to express emotions for themselves and then yeah. help their kids express those emotions, giving them strategies to know what to do instead, and also just creating a calm environment so that there is safety in that as well. The problem is with a lot of parents like this, I've had conversations with um, a few people around this, is some of these families are actually not in a very stable financial position. They might already be around domestic violence as well that they can't move out of. Mum's got her own mental health issues which aren't being addressed because they don't have enough money or they don't have the um, support around them or the family support. And without all of those things in place, it's very hard to make gains. Mm. So, you know, there's there's so much that a psychologist can do to support a child who's acting out because there's trauma and there's some relationship breakdown with their parents. But there's also so much that the government needs to do to support these families (laughs) so that that can happen. (laughs) Yes, there's so – it's yeah, it's quite frustrating that, I don't know, that so much gets chucked at, like, big business to fucking blow up the country and then – yeah. You know, health just languishes. Exactly. And we'll just cut what we've already given, like this Medicare sessions, and also never increase the Medicare rebate. You know, this is even if the parent gets in the door to see a psychologist about their kid, mm. which is a huge feat in in itself as yeah. well. Well, because I could imagine so many parents would not have the self-awareness to kind of go, okay, well, what is my part? 
in yeah, the problem. that's a big part as well, especially if they've been raised the same way. Yeah. Then they might think this is the way it's supposed to be. What am, what's going wrong here? My kid has a behaviour problem. Yeah. And that's what that's where it stays. Mm. I feel like with the world today, there's a little bit more, even from when I was in private practice, there's a lot more understanding now. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of media that's been released, even like kids' movies around childhood trauma and intergenerational trauma and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's becoming a little bit more known. Yeah. Um, but there still needs to be more supports, particularly for women, Yeah. to escape these situations and, and to be able to be in a place where they can heal themselves and then help parent in a way that's healthy for both them and their child. It's so convoluted. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I do like that even in 1991 that Mm. was a theme in this strange film. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great movie for tackling this subject, even if it's tackled in a sort of juvenile way. Yeah, Mm. yeah. And I guess on that topic too, Lizzie's mum. Mm. I can't. I don't even know if she has a name apart from oh, Mega Lizzie's Beast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the Bitch, the Mega Bitch. <laughs> Do you have any ideas of what you think she might be diagnosed with, or what she could be experiencing? Well, I wonder how much of it is. Um, being a woman of her time because you do see these flashbacks to Lizzie's childhood which are meant to be from like the 60s and everything is very you know her mum looks perfect put together Mm -hmm. and that's just what was expected of women yeah and you know you do see this it's just like you just you get a man that is it yeah just get um, that is the pinnacle of success yeah as a woman that's what you're here for he is there to support you because I think May I mean maybe she's she she's very repressed, mm. but it's also just like she is just living in the confines. She doesn't think outside of the confines yes. of that, and that societal expectation that she's grown up in, perhaps. Yes, yeah. and it you know destroys her personality. Like she's just geared towards the male gaze mm. in terms of how she dresses, in terms of how she wants Lizzie to view herself. Mm-hmm. It's all about the man. Yeah, just yeah. winning a man. It doesn't matter if he treats you badly. Like, you know, she does kind of say to Lizzie's dad, Nigel, like, what would you know about parenting? And mm. she's right. Like, yeah. this dude does nothing. He doesn't know anything, clearly. No, he's mm. just he just thinks, oh, look, I'll comfort you, but I won't actually guide you in any way. Yeah. I'll just be the fun-loving dad yeah. but also not actually do any daddy. No, yeah. and it just made me so angry. Like in that scene where they make the big mud pie and Fred gets locked in the box, I'm just thinking, fuck you, Nigel. You're just going to walk out. You're not going to clean up this no. giant mess. Um, like it's all left to the mom. Like all of it is just left to the mother. Yeah. So I feel like she's just sort of trapped the role that society had for women at that time. You clean up the mess no matter how bad it is. Yeah. And then you deal with raising the next generation, yeah. no matter how difficult that is. And that was sort of the values that were imposed onto Lizzie mm. once Fred was sort of trapped in the box. Yeah, yeah. Because it's also, I guess it's also feminist in that way of that, <laughs> try, trying to make this movie feminist. <laughs> I don't think it's feminist. It just becomes feminist despite itself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like Fred's a boy yeah. and doing boy things mm-hmm. and Lizzie, that's also like 
in, if you look at it in that gendered way, something that her mum can't stand. Yeah. Because boys are allowed to be messy and gross, but girls yes. are not. Yes, yeah. Girls have to be like the sweet little angels yes. that just always look perfectly turned out. Exactly. Mm. So when Fred gets locked away, Lizzie's the girl. Yeah. Lizzie's the pretty girl and she's wearing ribbons and, and she's just perfectly quiet and, you know, acts the way her mum wants her to be, which is yeah. very gendered as mm. well. Yes. Um, and that's what she sort of grows up to become but isn't a fully fleshed out person because that's what her mum wants her to be. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to diagnose her mum with narcissistic personality <gasps> disorder. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like if, if she was. I mean, there's so many mums even today out there like this mum, yeah. maybe in less overt ways, less on the nose ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that Lizzie's an extension of her because yeah. she even makes her dress like her yes. when she comes back home, yeah. which is hilarious. She's quite controlling and emotionally abusive, says cuddling is for teddy bears. Mm-hmm. So she's grown up thinking that, you know, she's not even allowed to have affection. Lizzie's grown up thinking that she can't do anything right, which leads to that quite touching scene with her and Fred. Yeah. You know, Fred's the person saying no your mum's wrong. (laughs) It's not you. She's decided what her daughter needs and wants. And it's all an extension of her. You know, she couldn't keep her man. So she's going to get Lizzie to keep her man. Mm -hmm. So it's not actually about Lizzie and what she needs. It's about what her mum needs. She also seems to get a sense of satisfaction for making her daughter afraid as well. Like when she locks up Fred, she's like, haha, I'm getting like, I'm, I've destroyed. Make you cry. Yeah. yeah, if you don't want, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. Destroying the thing that she loves the most, essentially. And, like, as a parent, I cannot imagine destroying something my son loves dearly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in this case, he's also causing so much mayhem yeah. <laughs> to the family. But that sense of satisfaction. And she even says to her child, I don't I don't love you as much as I used to. Like, that's so oh, yeah. harmful. Yeah, so manipulative. She also resents her daughter for the for her marriage breaking up. Mm. Like, in her mind, it's Lizzie's fault. She yeah, puts yeah. that on a child. Like, it's narcissistic parenting 101, which I've, I've read a little bit about. And kids with parents like this often go on to have mental health issues. They either can become narcissistic themselves or they become quite dependent like Lizzie is and very anxious and end up repeating the same patterns and seeking out the same sort of relationship in their life. Mm. Um, so it can be quite detrimental. Like, it's, it's a... It's, complex PTSD kind of situation Mm. and like even as an adult she's like locked in her room as well oh yeah by the evil nurse (laughs) her her perfect it's just like this model house yes where nothing is out of place yeah that Mm. carpet that's constantly being cleaned yes so and that yeah like she's not her mum never made room for an actual child in her life it might have been that having a kid was just what was expected of you and as a symbol of success Mm. and having a family And then right at the end, I quite like, even though I don't think it's very realistic, that when Lizzie leaves, she says, I think she says I love you or she gives her mum a hug. Yeah, yeah, she does something to kind of like reach out to her mum emotionally. And like it's like she doesn't blame her mum. Yeah. And she doesn't want to have hard feelings for her mum, but she's leaving. Yeah. It's like a very healthy boundary that she's putting in there, which is a nice way, nice way to show that. And then her mum's like, don't go, I'll be lonely. Yes. Like she shows a little bit of her trauma herself Mm. and her repressed emotions that she's been dealing with, which has led her to being the way she is. And then Lizzie says, why don't you go have a, you need to find a friend, which is a very like touching end. Again, probably very unrealistic, (laughs) but I like that. What did you think about? You know, I think 
sometimes when you grow up with a shitty parent, you do, you know, you do reach a point where you become compassionate for them because you realise that they just didn't have mm. the coping skills to be a parent because they didn't have the nurturing themselves. Mm. So, you know, it's going to be quite difficult for them, especially if they haven't done any, if they have no self-awareness. Yes. Mm. You do kind of see, well, you know, how can this person parent me when they're so at odds with themselves? Mm. And, yeah, it's quite, you know, it is really lovely. Like it's also kind of, I suppose, a sign of Lizzie's maturity as Mm. well where Mm. she's not like kind of fighting against her mom. She's just like kind of accepting her. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I guess it's a good message too if you've had this experience with, with your parent or parents that the answer isn't blame and resentment. yeah. It's acceptance and understanding, understanding, and mm. also compassion. Yes, yeah. Which is summarized in a very short part of the film, and again, might take years to achieve that. It's juxtaposed with her mum's resentment of Lizzie yeah. throughout her life, the outcome of which was quite unhelpful. I just want to touch on the psychiatrist and. Imaginary friend disorder, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Doesn't exist. (laughs) I think everyone knows that. Don't love the fact that, you know, he just immediately, Lizzie doesn't actually talk through anything psychological. Yeah, we don't see any of that. There's no real conversation at all and he just prescribes the pills. Mm. He has like a longer conversation with the mum behind closed doors than he does with Lizzie. Which is inappropriate not just for an adult but for a kid. Mm. Obviously when I saw kids I would talk to the parents separately from the child but I'd also talk to the child about what was happening um it wasn't in disrespect of the child but there's some things you can talk you can't talk about with the child in the room obviously like the mum's background and things like that so it was more getting a sense of what's going on for the family and you know that's how he's treating an adult so yeah (laughs) I'm assuming it's even worse for when you're a kid like it was the early 90s but there was no recommendation of her to actually talk to someone it's just take the pills which is very medical model of of its time um, but just hasn't aged very well. Mm. And I'm just also curious of uh, where they were going with, like, all these kids with all these imaginary friends. Do they all have terrible parents? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a really cute scene, like, seeing all of the imaginary friends. Yeah. But maybe less about um, having terrible parents and more about the parents being afraid of their child's yeah. imagination. Yeah, that's a really good point mm. because... Yeah. Or just their child having a separate life to them, like to their parents. Yeah, and being mm. autonomous yeah. outside of what the parent wants, mm. which I think is a common fear. Yeah. Like when you have a kid, you you want what's best for them and you want you might want to have them to have a certain kind of life, but as they grow up, they become more independent yeah. and that's a struggle for parents to accept that they aren't you and mm. they're going to have this whole life outside of you. Yeah. Well, how have you found like – you know, you're a mum. Like, mm. how have you found kind of Casper breaking away from you? Um, he's still pretty clingy, to be honest. <laughs> I haven't had to deal with it yet. But it does, like, you know, he's becoming more independent with, like, toileting oh, and okay. making friends and stuff. And I'm stoked for him when he when he makes those steps of independence. It's hard for me to, to acknowledge and recognise that one day he's going to have a fight with me and tell me that he hates me. Like, yeah. I know that's coming one day, you mm. know. Which I just can't imagine now. But, like, I've seen other parents struggle for their par- their kids to be independent and 
hold them back. And I'm just very conscious of that. Like I know I'm going to have those feelings and I know Michael, my husband will have those feelings too. But I think we're we're self-aware enough that we'll recognise it and say, hang on, we've got to let them fly. Yeah. Yeah, because so many people, their identity is I'm a parent. Yes, yes. And that's that. That's I'm a it. parent. Full stop. That's my one and only achievement, or yeah. uh, that's what I value. Mm. Yeah, because then you just you don't have an independent person. You just have a limb. Yeah, and and yeah, that's a really damaging thing to mm. do to a child. And you just think, why did you have kids? Yeah, and you know, some people do have kids for their own sort of companionship. Like yeah. it makes sense. You want someone to look after you when you're old mm. as well, and be able to you know. S- make sure they're there for you. Yeah. Ideally, what you want your kids to do is thrive and have a life independent of you because mm-hmm. that's what you're there for. But that's yeah. sometimes hard to reconcile. Not being a parent, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I can definitely, um, I mean, it's a lot. Like mm. I mean, parenting is so just, I think about it a lot. It's hard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm. For so many reasons. Like, I just want terrible people to stop having children, basically. (laughs) So, Well, at least try not to be terrible. (laughs) Because I think it's also important to recognise that there is no perfect parent. There's Mm. no perfect parenting. Yeah. You can make mistakes. I've made many mistakes, some yesterday, (laughs) that I'm still, like, feeling guilty about. Oh, no. But it's not about the mistake. It's about the recovery from the mistake. Like, we Mm. will fuck up. So yeah. many times, but it's recognizing I fucked up. Let's repair, let's heal from this mm. and turn it into a, like a learning experience of, you know, sometimes adults can do the wrong thing and, yeah. and this is how I'm going to deal with it. And maybe next time, this is how I'll deal with it next time. Mm. So that doesn't happen again or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to feel emotions and it's okay to, for things not to go right all the time. Yeah. Because that's still an important lesson for kids as well. Mm. Parents who want to be perfect don't want to show any of that emotion or make any mistakes around the kids, which then backfires as well. Yeah. Well, I guess it just seems like, you know, you need infinite reserves of patience to be a parent. (laughs) But it's okay to lose patience as well because it's we're also modelling to kids that I also don't have it all, all this energy and calmness. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to need to take a moment as well we're modeling that to our kids as well Mm. so that's what I tell myself when I lose patience anyway (laughs) (laughs) well I mean because you're dealing with someone who has like they think the world just revolves around them exactly yeah and they don't have any sort of they haven't learned self-control in any way Mm. they're still learning feelings yeah don't know what to do with them yet Mm. and you're battling with someone else's will you know and maybe sometimes you'll get a child who's okay with compromising and then you know you'll get another child who is like no I will destroy you (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's also about being flexible as well with your approach which again parents can struggle with because that this is what my first child did why isn't it working for my second child because they're a completely different person Mm -hmm. yeah Kids. Kids. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we covered a lot of the psychological aspect of the film. Yeah. Um, Were there any stereotypes that we saw in the film that maybe we didn't like or anything that subverted the stereotypes apart from what we kind of already mentioned? I mean, in so many ways, they're all archetypes. 
Yes, hugely. Um, yeah. I kind of feel like they all, you know, they're all archetypes, but they they all, except for the mother, you know, like Fred's such a slippery character. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say... You know, for Janie, I think she can kind of do better than her, um, the guy she's... Her sorry, I just... Yeah. Like, that kind of just came into my head. I'm like, she's only seeing him, like, one night a month. Oh. But he can go all night. <laughs> yeah, he makes Which up none of us her. knew what that meant when we were kids. <laughs> no, no. It's kind of funny how you learn about sex just from, like, the most random comments yeah. that adults will make. And then you hear it enough and then you realise, oh, that's what that means. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about this the other day, like Grease was my favourite movie when I was like five and there's mm. so many sexual references <gasps> yes! and yeah. rapey references. Mm. Like Rizzo was always a character that really, I didn't get her, like I didn't get why she was so controversial. Yeah, same, like why are they all mad at her? Yeah. Why is she cranky? Yeah. What does skip a period mean? Did she finish, she didn't I go know, to that, that class was, at yeah. school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, she's the slut and we're all meant to hate her. Yeah, we're yeah. all meant to look down at her. Yeah. Great song, Worst Things I Could Do. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I guess Janie's kind of subverting the friend stereotype because she's quite powerful yeah, and yeah. strong. Yeah, very independent woman. Yeah, mm. but she deserves maybe a hotter guy. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, someone who will always be there. Yeah, mm. yeah, not just every month. Yeah, once, once a month. month. Once a month. Yeah, I didn't love that with Fred, he's a perv. What the fuck was that about? Like, like, why is he looking up everybody's skirts? I could not. I was just so... And he's, like, he doesn't just steal a quick glance. Like, there's this one scene where Charles's the woman he's having an affair with, mm. is not wearing any underwear. And Fred, like, scoots under her dress and then just sits there staring at... And says, like, no panties. Or and then, like, yeah. he loses his mind and he just sits there in, like, this dreamlike state staring at her fanny. And I'm just like, that That left it's me disgusting. speechless. It's quite disgusting. Yeah. And if he's supposed to be like her childhood fun self. I know. It's like what five-year-old yes. or six-year-old does that? Yeah. It's like, oh, hi, this is my um, like, imaginary that's friend. He's going to stare up your skirt for a while. Don't mind him. It's just what he does. Like, yeah. I know. Yeah, that was like. Yeah. yeah. Like if kids do that, there's a problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so I just thought that was a bit gross and unnecessary. Yeah. But again, nineties gross out humor. Yeah. You know, women are there to be stared at. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're just objects. Yeah. I think that just yeah, very stereotyped representation of mm. therapy and the medical field, like the nurse being oh, this yeah, I big know. buxom woman, which was supposed to be kind of played for like she looks mean and ugly, oh, yeah. so we're supposed to dislike her. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like a villain based only on appearance. Mm. And also she's a nurse. So, yeah, yeah, they're – nurses are fantastic. We should appreciate nurses. Yeah. But maybe in the 90s they didn't as much as we should. I was just going to say I will stand up for Elizabeth's fashion choices. Yeah. Um, I do love the purple dress. Yes, I love the purple dress as well. And I love all the other cute stuff that she wears. Mm. So I mean, some of that's kind of coming back around in fashion too. Yeah, that's the thing. Slay girl. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess I already said this, but I love that Lizzie's a little girl mm. who's causing the tr- problems. Like that's yeah. a bit of a subversion of what we always saw as the, the rat bag boy yeah. kid. Yeah. Um, and and we do love and root for her even though she goes, she's a rat bag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though Fred is just fucked. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Imagine doing therapy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
I guess the last question is, is this film more helpful or harmful? What is helpful about it and what is harmful about it? I think there's so much that's harmful about it. I think what's help. I suppose what's helpful is that it is kind of shining a light on an area that doesn't really get delved into deeply. Mm. Like Mm. um, it's kind of looking at Lizzie in a really, I want to say non-judgmental way. Yeah. But is it? Like... I'm, I don't know. It's yeah. funny because, like, she's the heroine. Mm. Um, the film is on her side. Yeah. At the end of the day it is. Yeah. Uh, but there's definitely times where we're, like, you know, when Fred is up to mischief and she looks quote-unquote crazy, which mm. is used multiple times in the film, you know, we're supposed to be like, ugh, yeah. she's lost it. Like, mm. it's almost a little bit against her. Yeah. But you really empathise with her. Yeah, yeah. Hugely. And you def like, no one likes Charles. Like, he's such a terrible person. He's, I suppose he's one of the characters that is unambiguously bad. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I do think, like, mother-daughter relationships, you don't see them a lot. No. In movies. It's definitely, like, the Especially father-son. Especially not at that time. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's helpful in that it is looking at a woman really struggling with herself to accept mm. herself and also examining a really unhealthy relationship between mother and daughter. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's got a good message, really, in the film in that, you know, Fred does encourage destruction, but he yeah. also encourages Lizzie to think and live outside the box and be more true to herself yes. as well and yeah. experiencing her, the joy that is there mm. um, and being confident. And I guess in the dream sequence, facing her fears and embracing and loving and trusting herself yeah. is really what she learns from that. A message for all, really. A message for all, yeah. yes. And I guess like reading a lot about this, there were so many people particularly like, you know, on the news sites, millennials. Am I a millennial? I don't know. Gen Y. I think you're a millennial. Well, see, Gen Y became millennial. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It yeah. felt like Gen Y was just like this tiny little blip and then all of a sudden people were just calling Gen Y millennials. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. exactly. Mm. Anyway, people like myself have written, gone, why did we watch this movie a lot? Yeah. But actually I loved it as a kid. Why mm. did I love it so much? And then exploring the themes in it now. And so many kids loved this film. Like there was one article where um, they were like, every time we went to the video shop, <laughs> that's what I would come back with. Then everyone would be like, oh, God, this one again. Well, see, it was definitely a movie that I had fond memories of. Yeah, yeah, same. Like there are lots of movies I saw as a child where I was just like, Ugh, you know, like I don't care about that movie. I didn't really enjoy it. But in my memories, I always liked this movie. Yeah. Mm. And I wonder if, like, this person who wrote about it was like, I also had a traumatic childhood. Well, that's it. And my mum yeah. was kind of like, or my dad was kind of like um, her mum. Mm. And now why didn't I pick up on that before? But maybe that's why I was drawn to it. I got to escape with Fred every day. Yeah. Maybe that's mm. something that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, because it is kind of a bit covert in the sense of... It's not a very obvious movie about childhood trauma. Like it's presented as this very kind of fun, zany movie when it's like dealing with some very deep issues. Mm. Very few films do that where a kid can maybe watch this movie comfortably and go, wow, my parents are totally fucked too. Yeah. Mm. And I guess it starts off with us thinking Fred's the problem. Yes. But it turns out, no, Fred's actually the solution. To well, he's another problem. problem. He's still <laughs> the problem. But it's but also... Yeah, yeah. He's like, he is a good guy ultimately. Yeah. Mm. And it's it's turning the 
destruction that is sometimes used to deal with the problem into something more healthy, yes. I guess. Yeah. But I'm sure as kids, no one was thinking it <laughs> that deeply through, but obviously it resonated with us as adults. So yeah, it sort of yeah. got into us early and then we grew up going, oh, that was wrong, yeah. sort of thing. Mm. So I think that it could have done some actual help for our generation perhaps. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of movies that weren't helpful but I nothing's coming to mind. Like of that time? Yeah, mm. but I can't think of anything. Well, Greece, <laughs> as I mentioned before, definitely had some very unhelpful things yes. in it. Yeah, like you yeah. should completely change your look oh, and yeah, lifestyle to impress the boy. <laughs> yeah, to win him over. And also sluts are bad. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So I guess there is definitely some harmful things in it still. Yes. What do you think is harmful? Oh, my God, just, like, the way it views women. Yeah, yeah, um, The way – I think I think that is it. Like, it has a really – you know, it's disparaging of girls. It's, it's about women and there's lots of women in this movie. Mm. But it does have that very old-fashioned view of women. Mm. Yeah, hugely. Yeah. So I think that is probably the most – and, like, the guys get – just, you know, apart from Charles, like the dad just gets let off the hook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very geared towards mums being the problem. Yeah. yeah. Mm. When actually more likely that when you look at actual DV statistics, it's usually the dad. But anyway, yeah, yeah I guess of its time it was considered very bad, like it flopped. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's obviously become a bit of a cult mm. film. Apparently, Rick Mayo said that mums complained that I had corrupted their sons and taught them to wipe bogeys on the furniture. I think girls were doing that too. I'm sure they were. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess there's an element there that apparently, according to you know the main star in it, that it did get some flack for encouraging kids to act out, which I don't know. But, I yeah, think I don't know. there was probably lots of reasons why kids yeah. were acting out. <laughs> Overblown to blame this movie. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't blame this movie. No. And like we said before, there's quite a few articles that are like, um, yes, he's eventually helping Lizzie, but the behaviour is quite extreme. Like what part of, this is from Looper, what part of childhood innocence and identity is served by playing burglar and breaking the windows of the house? Especially when it scares Lizzie's parents so much that they call the police. Like, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he is very extreme. Yeah. Mm. But I also think that like often the most traumatised kids do exhibit the most extreme behaviour. Like these are the kids that need a lot of support who end up, you know, there's child protection influence or, you know, end up with behaviour labels Mm. that uh, often that I've worked with that really just have needs that have never been met and have no other way way to cope with them. Yeah. You know, coping strategies for trauma are often unhealthy ones. Like that's why it's trauma. So I think... Trauma doesn't make you a better person. No. (laughs) God, no. (laughs) You know, kids develop unhealthy coping strategies because Mm. that's how it kind of works and that's how it's worked for them, even if they objectively, we don't think it's helpful. So I kind of want to give the movie a pass for showing such extreme behaviour because to me, like, yeah, I've seen, I've had kids that I've worked with that have been very violent towards Mm. their parents, you know, worse than what Lizzie does. So it's kind of realistic almost, even though this is a very unrealistic movie. You know, I guess that's a good thing. So, yeah, it's kind Mm. of showing trauma in its ugliness. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Because we still want the best for Lizzie. Yeah. We have positive regard for Lizzie. Yes, yeah, yeah. Even though she, (laughs) (laughs) as Fred or as herself, has done some pretty awful things. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose 
she she's never actually malicious towards anyone. She doesn't mean to be, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, she does attack the violinist. But she thinks it's Fred. But yeah. I, she does say to her dad, um, oh, and she says to, like, it is pretty awful to hear her say to Fred, like, let's chop mummy's head off. I know, <laughs> I know, like throw her out the window. Throw out the window. Yeah. And things like that. Mm. But, you know, kids will say those things. They might yeah. not necessarily mean them, but mm. it was like grappling for control or something that made her feel better and feeling control just imagining being able to escape even though it's pretty disgusting the things they're sort of talking about Mm. she's just a kid she's just a kid exactly Mm. so yeah I don't know do you think it's more helpful or more harmful more helpful yeah I think so too which is not the I know you that I was going to come to (laughs) no I definitely didn't think I would yeah I think because it looks at something that's rarely looked at I'm like yeah this you know it's it's more helpful. Like I don't think I would show it to a client in a therapy session. No. <laughs> but, you know, it could be it could be useful mm, in yeah. processing your own experiences. Mm. We might go through the final scores for our categories. So the first one being lived experience, Mm -hmm. which I don't think we've got enough information to really even give a point. No. And I feel like the, I mean, from the information that we have, the one person who has like the most experience with mental illness was actually the most put together character, Mm. which is Janie. Yes. Played by Carrie Fisher. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So it's not, it doesn't quite count. (laughs) There's not enough on the internet about the person who created it, who directed it and um, Mm. who wrote it as well. Accuracy. I think some things are really accurate. Like the way Lizzie is just like totally just has no sort of self. I don't like, like, you know, to say this person has no self-respect. It's very harsh. Mm. But it's just like she just has no sense of self. No, no. I think in one way that is really accurate and the way that she's kind of like pining Mm. for the love of this man who's just a fuckwit is just, I think that's really accurate. Yeah, I think Mm. a lot of people could see themselves in that. We've all, some of us, not all of us, (laughs) but many of us have been there. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it isn't accurate. Imaginary friend disorder isn't a thing and, Mm. you know, the psychiatrist, the way he interacts isn't particularly accurate. For its time, maybe it is a little bit more accurate than it would be now, but there's definitely lots of embellishments Mm. and it's over the top, obviously. Yeah. So I don't want to give it a full point, but maybe half a point. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? I think half a point is good. Okay. (laughs) Um, And then stereotypes. Oh, the mum is so stereotyped. Yeah, yeah. And so is the dad. Well, I mean, like so many dads actually do act like that. Yeah. So it's not a stereotype. But but it's also a stereotype for the dad to not yes. get any recourse for yeah, being yeah. a shithead. Yeah, exactly. And that just being accepted. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think there's too, probably too many stereotypes to give it a point. Yeah. And lastly, helpful or harmful? Helpful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm. Well done, Drop Dead. <laughs> <laughs> we, I never thought we'd reach that conclusion. No, it's amazing. Yeah. And I have to let listeners know, if you want to hear more about people talking about Drop Dead Fred, there's a podcast called Should They Watch It, which is about kids' films <gasps> and movies. They're from the US mm. and they're wonderful. Um, and they go through different movies and TV shows. And they also did Drop Dead Fred recently. And it's did, a really good chat. Oh, what did they say that people should watch it? Or I, I think they had some mixed feelings okay. about it. I'll let people listen <laughs> yeah they've done all those sort of childhood films that we watched like Ace Ventura and oh. Oh, I can't See, remember what else 
but yeah. Ace Ventura is a movie I would not want to see again. No. I don't think I want to see any Jim Carrey film and that's, as an adult. And that's the thing that I actually read is that Jim Carrey was given like so much for praise for being that sort of silly person. Mm. Like a lot of people hated this film, Drop Dead Fred, but loved The Mask. Yeah. And like to me, Jim Carrey in The Mask is much more detestable than Drop Dead Fred. Oh, well, I haven't seen it since it came out. I don't want to see it again. Don't. <laughs> but, but I suppose, you know, Rick Mayle has like an edge. Yeah. And yeah, like, you know, Fred is so spiky. Yeah. That I can kind of see how Jim Carrey would be more palatable. Yeah. So mm. much more annoying to me, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's okay. Thanks it was so for listening. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. So it was a delight. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>